See, there are a few things that quickly I want us to just look at. There's one, two, three, four, five, six that I think as we read through, we see Peter reminding all the time and sort of pointing to put meat on the bones of what it is to find your identity in Christ to live a life that is marked by grace. You with me? Open your Bibles. Let's look at the first one. Can I encourage you guys in your context, in your churches, in your CUs to live ordinary life with a real intentionality, be marked as a people who are, sorry, be a people who are marked by love, by love. Interesting, isn't it? If you know your Old Testament, God says, this is what you are, and I'm going to give you your word, live in light of my word, and you live under the instruction of me who loves you, who saves you, who's, who's, who saved you. You live under that instruction, you will live in a way that brings me glory, and other people will see it and bring me glory. The issue is they totally forgot the beginning, didn't they? And they thought, I have to live like this in order to be loved and accepted. The reality was they had been loved and accepted, therefore they lived in this way. So it was all about the law. Interesting, Jesus comes, completely, fulfills that, completely turns that upside down. He says, I've got one new commandment for you, gentlemen. One more. Imagine them. They're all there with their, I was going to say iPads and iPods. They didn't have that. Pen and paper, whatever it was. It wouldn't have been a pen either. What would it have been? Written in the floor. All right, okay. They would have been, they would, they would have been okay, what's this new commandment that the Messiah has given us? What does he say? Love each other. For crying out loud, just love each other. You know what I mean? I know the tension that is in this room when you come from other churches. I know that. So you walk in like, okay, this is this church that meet in this crazy place and we're going to go and there's those young people, they go to the... You know what, guys? Just love each other. Praise God that there's somebody else in, the city, in different parts of the city that loves Jesus. Be marked by that love as a loving person and that you love each other. Some of my friends can't believe some of the people that I spend time with. These are my non-Christian friends. Can't believe some of the people that I spend time with. Because like, quite frankly, in other versions of this, it says you are a chosen, chosen people, a royal priest of the holy nation, God's special possession, a peculiar people, it says. All right? And that's true. I'm looking out here. You're peculiar. So some of my friends think weird, but, but they see a love between us. Be marked by that. Let's have a look. What does he say? Chapter 1, verse 22. What does he say? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And what he's saying is that love doesn't come from the fact that, yeah, man, we're just going to love each other. You know what I mean? It's not. It comes from an obedience to the truth. An obedience to the gospel, you recognize you are who you are because of the grace of God. So being marked by that grace, you're going to live out that grace to love each other. Even when you get wound up, that we love each other. Be marked by that. Another one, um, chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. We need to love one another. Our love is grounded in our conversion, in our obedience with love. We need to live in unity. That's a display of love. We need to seek to be like-minded. That's a display of love. Too many of our cities, and my city in particular, the churches are all, all over the place. They're doing their own little thing. And we're trying the hardest. You, right? I'm talking to you, young people. Do not let that happen in your generation. Do not. Because you know what? It's damaging to the gospel. Witness. It is. Seek to be of one mind with the primary issues of the gospel. 
show love in light of that. Live in unity, sympathy, brotherly love, with tender hearts, showing hospitality without grumbling, serving one another. Open up your life. Some of you don't have homes. Hospitality is not just about opening up your door. It's opening up your life. We have got a lot of people in our church, 20s and 30s. A lot of the lads in the 20s don't have their own homes. So as soon as I talk about hospitality, they switch off being, well, that doesn't include me because I don't have a home yet. And with the mortgage prices, I, I just can't afford anything. Hospitality is opening up your life. Primarily to other Christians. Fellowship. Because then when you show love for each other, when non-Christians come in, there's something about the way that you are that is attractive. People are built for community. We are built to be a people. We have been created to be a people. We crave it. That's why Facebook and Twitter are so successful. Because we have this distorted, I want to be community, but I don't want anyone really to know me. The reality of being marred by grace is that we seek to just be open. And to love each other. Are you with me? First one. You want to display identity in Christ? Be marked by grace in the fact that you love each other. So other people say, you know those Christians in that CU? They really love each other. They're nuts. But they absolutely love each other. You know, there's a girl in my, my flat and she was having a really hard time. The way her Christian friends rallied around, I've never seen anything like it in my life. You know, the fella over the road there, he's part of that church there. And you know, in the crazy place where they snow. And snowboard and stuff, you know, it's not really a church, is it? It's like a warehouse. But just the way they've rallied around when his wife was pregnant. You with me? People see those things. Be marked by love. Next one. Be a people who are marked by their love for God's word. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Back in Exodus 19, when God says this to Moses to say to the people, he says, obey my covenants. Obey my word. Do you want to live like this? Obey Listen to what I say. I know best. Look what I've done to you. Done for you. Be a people who are marked by God's word. Now, this is where we, it throws us back into the situation where we're going to be ostracized by our community. But that's what it is to be God's people. As soon as you say that this thing here is the authority to how you live as an individual and live as people, people are going to say, "Boom, there's something wrong." But the reality is this: I don't think we move on. We move on in reaching because we don't put enough in this, and we're all like newborn infants. Still breastfeeding, aren't we? We never read our Bibles. We never read our Bibles with our friends. We never talk about the wonder of the gospel with each other and how what we've been re- reading this week. And w- we think that it's enough just to become and be breastfed by the preacher and then go next week and then I'll come back for a little bit more. That's what a baby's like. You know, you ask any of the mothers in here and the dads with a newborn baby and the breastfeeding, you know what I mean? It's, it's you know... For the dads, it's great, all right, because you get to sleep all night. But for the, for, for the mothers, oh, I just, just can't wait till he's on solids. I can't wait till he's on the solids. And the thing is, when they get on the solids, they start throwing the food, and you think, I wish he was back on the breast. All right, that's the problem. Just, it's a mess, isn't it? Or back on the bottle, it's a mess. The reality is, difference in the Christian life, you will not grow in your identity in Jesus. You will not grow in what it is to display the wonder of Christ if you just stay as a newborn baby. Well, I'll just listen to me podcasts and I'll listen to the sermon. 
long after the word of God, be people who are marked by that. That actually, when your friend who is not a Christian or your friends who aren't Christians, that the comfort that you bring is something that's rooted in the word, not something that you think they want to hear. Because that doesn't mean anything. It's rooted in the word. And even if you're embarrassed by that, believe that the word of God has authority and it changes hearts. I'll give you an example. There's a Romanian guy in our church, right? I love Liverpool. My heart was to reach Liverpool people. I'll be honest with you. I had got no time for anyone else. Scousers. You know what I mean? Heaven full of Scousers will be a great place. All right? There'll be no cars, but there'll be everything else. But that was my heart. Because what I recognized in our city is that lots of churches were being planted by guys that had come into the city, which is wonderful, and I thank God for that. But the reality was students and graduates were being saved, but no one from the city. So my heart was, we're going to replant this church, and we're going to be about Liverpool people. And if all those woolly backs and people from Yorkshire, they can go to their own churches. You know what I mean? Seriously, that's, what, that's how arrogant I was when we started. That's only three and a half years ago. Three months in, we didn't see anybody saved. We were just praying. You know, loads of people had arrived at the church because, you know, Christians were, were like that. You know what I mean? We, we, something new, we all go along. This is great. The music's better than that place and all this sort of stuff. And um, one Sunday, we decided that the following week, we we're going to have a prayer meeting. Every day, Monday to Friday, half six till half seven, just to pray. Pray that people will be saved. And on that particular Sunday, before we went out, and we were about 25 people at the time, there was a young lad who sat at the back. He just sat there for the whole service, listened, and then he left. The next day, we met to pray. Bear in mind, our church was full of old people when we arrived. There were 17 old folks all sat around in a circle with me and a few others. And these two old ladies, two spinsters that live together, lovely they are. I shared what we were going to pray about, and then I said, is there anything that we'd like to pray for? And they said, can we pray for that young man who came to church yesterday? His name's Vlad, Romanian, never been to church before. Okay, let's pray for, let's pray for Vlad. So we prayed and we prayed for Vlad. Prayer meeting finished at half past seven and we went the next day. Met again at half past six. We sat around to do the same thing. Then I share again. They both say, can we pray for that young man, Vlad? Yeah, no problem, we'll pray for Vlad. Ten minutes later at 20 to seven, who walks through the door? Vlad. No word of a lie. 20 to 7. He walks in. All these people are sitting in a circle getting all excited thinking, oh my word, prayer works. <laughs> there is a Holy Spirit that moves. <laughs> Me, ex-policeman, sitting around thinking, he's 24 or something like that. Romanian, unemployed, never been to church. What does he want? That's right. No. Seriously. So I'm sitting in this circle. So I sat on him looking like this for the whole time. He felt really intimidated. All these people like crying, praise you, Lord, and all this. They're like getting excited. Something's happening. I'm like, if he takes one of those ladies' handbags, he's out that window. I had it all planned out. Seriously, I had it all planned out. Prayer meeting ended. He come up to me. He said, he said can, I, can I chat? I said, yeah. He said, I used to laugh at people like you. You know, <laughs> want to put me back up. What do you mean by that? He goes, Christians, I used to laugh at you, but something has changed. He says, I, used to, I lived in Romania and I decided that I was going to come to England because the streets are paved with gold. Because that's what everyone thinks. I ended up in Chester. I was doing some stuff in Chester. I moved to Liverpool. I had no money, nowhere to go. Now, Romanians are allowed to live here, but they can't work here, only under certain instructions. But he was working and he shouldn't have been. 
He got employed by this lady who had a property company. And she said to him, listen, you can work on my houses, emptying them out before they get renovated. And you can live in the house. So you've got a job. You've got somewhere to stay. Not a problem. She sends him to Stockport, right? Manchester. If you know anything about Liverpool, Manchester is the place where we send people who are kicked out of the church. All right, okay? That's the issue. You know, church discipline, go to Manchester. All right, that's how, it, that's how it happens. We don't get on. You know what I mean? It's like Yorkshire and Lancashire with the cricket. All right? That's, that's what it's like. So Manchester. He goes to Manchester. And he says, I was working in this old people's home. And my, my job on my own was to empty this old people's home and be security at night. Now, bear in mind, Vlad had only been in the country for two years and couldn't speak English when he arrived and was speaking fluent English to me. This guy is clever, right? And he said, I was getting really bored, so I decided that I'd go and see if I can find a book. So he goes down to one of the skips that he was throwing all the rubbish in out of the, out of the, out of the old people's home because he'd noticed he'd been throwing books. He puts his hand in the skip and he pulls out a good news Bible. Now, any of us who are good preachers, you'd never use the Good News Bible, would you? You know what I mean? You know, that's for the kids, isn't it? But he opens up the Good News Bible, all right? You know, with those, those stick men drawings in them. You know, you've seen them. <laughs> and he opens it out. He opens it out. And he says, I just started to read it at the beginning. And I got hooked. And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm hearing this. He said, I got, I got hooked. I started at the beginning. And I went through Genesis. And I got to the tabernacle. And he said to me, and I want to be an engineer. So, so I was like getting bits of wood and stuff, trying to work out what it would look like, the tabernacle. And I carry on reading. And he reads right through. And he says, I get to Jesus. And he says, as I'm reading this, something in me brings me to a conclusion. They say, only God, only someone who is God can say these sorts of things and do these sorts of things. And then I carry on and I get to the point where he dies and I think, what's that all about? He had no knowledge of the gospel. And he said, what's all that about? And then he comes back alive again and I'm thinking, whoa, what's going on? Now he used to smoke weed. He's thinking, oh, I've had too much. Right, okay, seriously, that's what he read. He said to me, I carried on reading and I got to Paul's letters. This is how he's speaking. I got to Paul's letters. And when I read Paul's letters, it made sense who this Jesus was, what he had done, and why he died and rose again. And then everything that I read before made sense. And I'm like, who have you been speaking to? What Bible college do you go to? He says, no one. You're the first person. I've been looking for somebody just to come in and talk to you about these things because I have something is changing in me. Something has happened. I can't put this book down. I find myself speaking as I'm walking down the street. I'm like, that's prayer, bro. All right, okay. And he says, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I saw in this guy who had no knowledge of the gospel, a thirst for, for the word of God that has changed his life. The end of September, three and a half years later, he's been to Bible college, right? Part-time Bible college. He's going back to Romania to plant a church in Timisoara, right? How dare we, how dare we not think that the word of God can change our own hearts and change the hearts of the people that we love? Be people who are marked by the book. Be people who are marked by the word of God. God said to Israel, Obey my words, obey my covenants. Peter says to the church in the midst of this, do not be embarrassed by the words of your father. Don't be. Live in light of them. Be people who are marked by God's word. Next one. Be people who are marked by freedom. Chapter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. 
The wonder of the gospel is we are free from sin. We are free from, from the punishment of sin. We are free from failure. We are free from failure. I think one of the biggest, biggest idols in your churches and in my church of parents is their kids' education. And parents are fearful that their kids are going to fail. And in turn, we are fearful that we are going to fail. You know, we are free from that. We are free from the fear of failure. We are free from the fear of man. We are free from ourselves. See, when you understand who you are in light of God and your identity is in him, you view yourself differently, completely differently as an individual and as a member of the church of God. See, we we no longer base our identity on what other people think of us. Do we? We do. But if our identity is Christ, we shouldn't. We base our identity on what God thinks of us in Christ. Don't we? That's what we should be. That is so liberating. Girls, when you're not as pretty as the other one, you're not as slim as the other one. When the boys are looking at hair and not looking at you. When you're afraid when the sun comes out that you're going to have to wear short tops or just sweat because you're afraid of showing your body. In Christ, you are free from that. You are free from that. Because when he sees you, he sees something that he is beautifully made and beautifully redeemed in Christ. He sees the wonder and righteousness of his own son in you. Gents, when you're not as good as the other at sport or not achieving in your workplace or don't earn as much money, we are free from that. Be people who live in light of that freedom And hear me when I say this, be people who create that atmosphere and that platform for our brothers and sisters in Christ to live lives that are marked by that freedom because they are who they are. We are who we are because of how God views them in and us in Christ. Are you with me? No girl in any of our churches should feel ashamed because the way that she looks because we we shouldn't be living in that context because we're free from that. See, the gospel produces neither an inferiority complex or a superiority complex. Do you understand? Let me tell you this now. You are not as good as you think you are. You're not. You are not all that. You're not. But let me tell you this. You're also not as bad as you think you are. Because in Christ, we are marked by his grace. There is nothing that we can do to achieve his favor. Nothing. And there is nothing that we can do to lose it. Because it's been bought for us and kept. And we have that living hope that will be restored and confirmed. Are you with me? Guys, there's no room for people who think they're better than others. There's no room for people who think that they're worse than anyone else. No superiority complex, no inferiority complex. We are God's people, a chosen people, all one in Christ. Live like that. Be marked by that. So have friends who aren't Christians who think you're strange because you spend time with somebody that they wouldn't spend time with. Why? 
Because we're one in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. That's my brother in Christ. In my city, the big issue is if you're part of the church and you don't play football, you feel ostracized. That has got to stop. What a lot of rubbish that is. We want to be marked by people who are free. See, we don't, no longer based our identity on what people think of us or even what we think of ourselves. Now, let me take this a little bit further. What does that mean in terms of how we live? Love each other. Yeah, we can do that. Be friends with each other. Yeah, we can do that. Live in community. Seek unity. We can do that. We can do that. Okay. You know what it also means to be, uh, have your identity in Christ and be marked by grace? Is to lovingly call sin out in each other's lives. We don't do that. Last week, dear friends of mine, been married for 23 years, marriage fell apart. Christians, marriage fell apart. We did not have a clue. We did not have a clue. Why? Because they were so fearful of displaying what was really going on. That nobody had the opportunity to speak the gospel into that situation. It could have been saved. I pray that it will be and restored. It could have been. Why? Because there was this fear. Because they didn't get grace. There was this fear and this, this lifestyle that had to be kept up. And this two point you know, perfect family that had to be kept. And the problem was they were killing each other. And this family has fallen apart. The, 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 the volcanoes are about to explode because nobody else knows apart from me and my wife and you guys. That's the reality. And one of the issues was that these people didn't understand what it was for grace to say, we are struggling. Please help us push the gospel into us. Other issues is you see things going on. We've seen it, and me and my wife have been guilty of not saying, we need to go and preach the gospel in that situation. We need to speak truth into that situation. So if we're marked by grace, if a loving brother or sister in Christ in your youth group, in your, in your church, comes and says, listen, we need to talk about this, because actually, you know what? What I'm observing in you, and I say this because I love you, is a life that is not in step with the gospel that you say you love. And if we are marked by grace, we receive that. We receive it. We'll probably be angry, not happy. But we come to a restoration to forgive each other. That displays lives marked by grace. You with me? See, I'm excited telling you, thinking these things through with you because there's a generation of people that could change this country. Not only this county, and just by the way that we live each other in light of the gospel. We're free from the fear of each other. And the problem is that fear is infiltrated even in the churches that we represent. Let's change that. Be open to share what's going on in here. Because the consequences of not doing that could be 23 years down the line, a marriage break up, kids walking out, men being disqualified from ministry in the churches. You with me? Next one. Be a people who are marked by lives that are countercultural. Let's have a look at it. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of the former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We want to be people who are marked by lives that are countercultural. Now hear me when I say this, that is not isolating ourselves as some little holy gospel community huddle. 
and not having anything to do with the big bad world. Right? Let me tell you that. Generations before me have tried that. doesn't work. It doesn't work. Just to hide away. It's not isolation. It's living as God's holy people in the midst of the world that we're living in. It's living lives and seeking to live lives that display the wonder of who God is. And if we seek to do that, our lives will be countercultural. And it's as simple as this, right? Inviting people to your house for tea. You laugh at that, but that's countercultural. I'm not talking dinner party, I'm saying tea. Having the confidence for people to come and be part of your friendship group without worrying about what they're going to think. Inviting people into your home without worrying that it has to be spotless and clean. Once you have a couple of kids, you realize that that's just impossible. That's countercultural. Lots of us, I'm sure, live in middle class areas, right? Middle class areas. But we drive in, we have our driveways, and people go into their castles, don't they? They shut the gates and they walk in. And everything seems fine on the outside. I've got neighbors that I speak to, and they're like, they think I'm like some sort of leper. Because I would say good morning to them. They're like, oh yeah, all right, good morning. I'm like, that's what we do as humans, we talk. Are you with me? Just as simple as that. A life that is countercultural. If you go out with your friends, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Because the Bible says don't do it. So don't do it. Don't think, well, I've got to contextualize. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean vomiting in the street, people. You know what I mean? But it also doesn't mean Alcohol is bad. I am not entering into that place. Wisdom. Are you with me? Counter-cultural lives. Lives that are not shaped by the culture. But actually what we do is we read the culture and understand the culture through the word of God. That we don't allow the culture to shape how we think and how we live and how we determine our relationships and how we function and what our purpose is. That actually we read the culture that we live in from the authority of the word of God that causes us to live as free people and lives that are marked by grace. That's what it means to be countercultural. You with me? Seek to do that. Have confidence in the word of God. See what your friends are living for and see the failures in the foundations of those things. That's how you'll share the gospel with them. That's how you can point things out. Two more, and then I'll close. Be people who are marked by the cross, not by your cushions. Do you get that? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The Bible says that we need to deny ourselves. It doesn't say, do the thing that is most comfortable. Be marked by the cross, not your cushion. Chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Have a look at that. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of of glory and of God rests upon you. It says there, it, it says there, does it, beloved, do not be surprised. So let me hear you. Do not be surprised when the government says the two men can marry. Do not be surprised when your friends of years, when they've been to university and have got a little bit of knowledge, so they think, decide that you're a loon and they want nothing to do with you because you're a Christian. 
Do not be surprised when you are in a workplace or in university or in school and there are things put in front of you that really bring in your step with Christ into question. Your integrity in the gospel into question. Do not be surprised at those things. Don't. But recognize that actually the choice that I make in light of the fact that my identity is in Jesus and I am displaying the glory of who God is to the world as being part of his people, that if you have to leave that job or be sacked for not doing something that you're told, that's what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you lose friends, if you lose family members... My co-pastor, Paul Elms, his name is, I love him dearly. Before he became a Christian, he was in a relationship for a short period of time and he had a son. His son's, I won't give his name, a little, little boy, he's about 10, 11. Paul became a Christian, he's now remarried, got three little girls. Paul, for a year, last year, I think it's just, he's just started to being able to see him again, was not allowed to see his own son for this reason. Because he wanted to read the Bible to him before he went to bed. And his mother said, you're not seeing him. And, and he, she said, just don't read the Bible to him and you can see him. The kid's school said, the headmaster, can't you just do things that normal dads do with him? Like play football and stuff, which he does. Just don't read the Bible to him. Then you can see your son. You know what Paul said? No. No. It would have been so much easier to get the cushion of saying, you know what, I don't believe in the authority of Scripture and I don't think it's going to do any good for my son. I'll, I'll sit on, on that. Why? Just so I can see my son. He said, no. I'm going to read my Bible to my boy. Now, by God's grace, after a year, he's now able to see his son. That is what it is. That's real. That's what's going to happen. Are you with me? Be marked by people who carry the cross of Christ not the cushion of whatever. Be that person. Be those people. Be that church. Be that youth group. Be that CU that displays the glory, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the last one, and then we'll close. Be a people who are marked by the way that we suffer. Chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, the perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, and Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Be people who are marked by the way that they suffer. My mum and dad got married, I think it's about 40 years ago, something like that. The day after they got married, they got a car accident. As a result of that, my mum fractured her neck. Okay, day after, imagine that, girls. One day you're walking down the aisle, next day. It was a minor fracture that they really didn't get onto for a good number of years, but she suffered greatly with the pain. As a result of that, right through our childhood, pretty much, and right through, my, my mum used sticks, she couldn't walk, she got other problems down, she's got prolapse discs, what that means, you know, the discs in between your vertebrae, they've gone. So think about it, when you walk, you get that, when my mum moves, she gets that. 
okay? She, 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 she's in a wheelchair now, my mum. She's in a wheelchair. She can't pick up her grandchildren, really, because of the pain that she's in and everything like that. But my mum is the most godly Christian lady I've ever met in my life. I've seen more people become Christians on the couch, sitting next to my mum in her chair than anything else. And do you want to know what the reason is that people are drawn to it? The way she lives in her suffering. <laughs> We've had Christians that have come, right, who've prayed for my mum for her healing. We've got people who've come, and I remember being a kid, 16 years of age, came home from my lunch. I'm sitting there, and these people from some loony church came to our, our we want to pray for you. And I said, please don't pray for my healing. Pray that God gives me the strength by his spirit to live in light of the way of the life that I've been called to live. And they rebuked her, saying that she didn't have enough faith, right? Being a scout, 16-year-old lad, I didn't respond very well. They were kicked out the door. That's the, the issue. But the graciousness of my mum through her pain and her suffering has brought people to Jesus. Let's be marked by people. But let's be marked by the way that we suffer. That's what it means to be marked by grace. Because there's nothing that we experience in this life compares to what Christ experienced on the cross for us. I'm not saying that Jesus suffered the worst physical death that anyone else suffered. I don't think that's true. But spiritually he did. Completely. He he died a horrific death. But the spiritual connotations of what he suffered for you outweigh anything that you will ever suffer in this life. Let's be people who are marked by that. If your identity is in Christ, you're gospel-centered. Having your identity in Christ means that your life is marked by grace. And everything that I've displayed is serving in the church in whatever context, but it's far more than that. It could be brought into university, living a normal life, being the only Christian on your street as you live as God's people.